Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Hey, raise both hands if you uh, remember the game, Follow the Leader. Let me see that. All right, several of you are out. All right, so that's, you forgot how to play, right? I mean, that's, that's, there's a way to play, you know? You gotta follow the leader, you gotta, do, you gotta do what the leader says. We played that game as a kid, you remember it. Even if you did not raise your hand, you remember it. Uh, the teacher would pick a leader and then you, you, you follow what they do. And so if they crawled under the chairs, you would crawl under the chairs. If they hopped on one leg, you would hop on one leg. It was a pretty simple game and uh, real hard to get out, but you know, um, you know, strange things happen. It taught us a little bit about following a leader. The problem is that it didn't teach us anything about uh, choosing a leader. This says how you follow or emulate somebody. It doesn't say who you should follow or emulate. In fact, the way that it works, if we were to think about it, and let's do that, that games, childhood games, those sort of things, they teach us things that we sort of adapt. They kind of wire our brains in a certain way that we live our lives fulfilling. That game teaches us that leadership is established through a number of avenues. And I'm not saying this is universal, and of course you grow out of some of this, but largely there's either the avenue of authority, the teacher says, this is the leader, and so you have to follow that person. There's also the, maybe the loudest or most uh, boisterous person in the room, you know, that could be the leader. Some child is like, I'm it, I'm the leader, you know, that sort of idea. Or perhaps it was that your elementary class took turns, you know, it's your turn right now, and then it'll be somebody else's turn over and over and over. That's how the leader is established. And yet, as much as those work for the game, they just don't work for real life, right? That's not, that's not a good way to do it in real life. We can't establish leadership by some authority. Outside of scripture, that's just not the way that it works. Some other human authority. Our current political system in the United States has a two-party system in which, you know, gets us in trouble all the time because the parties say, hey, here's your two choices and we got to choose between those two choices, you know? And so they don't always yield the best of America, right? We have to choose those things. Or the loudest person in the room might be just a bully and not a great leader. And I doubt very seriously, you're gonna show up to the office tomorrow or the next day and, some, and your boss is gonna say, hey, you're the boss today and tomorrow Mark is the boss. You know, that's just, we don't take turns being a leader. Now, some of you may think, our job would go so much smoother if our boss would take turns not being the boss, right? But that's just not how it works. That is not how it works. And so what we do is we end up learning how to follow people or learning that we should emulate and that following is good and that leadership is good. We just never really learn how to choose a leader. In fact, it's something that becomes very difficult for us. It makes it harder that we have some assumptions about what good leaders are. Nobody ever taught us, so we just cooked up a couple of ideas. Good leaders to us are people who tell us what we want to hear and do what we want to do, right? They, they just make us feel good about ourselves, and they're doing what we would do anyways, and so that's the person that we want to follow as a leader. Could you imagine if you were going to maybe climb a mountain or something? And you decide, we need a guide 
We need a person who is going to guide us up this mountain. And so there's a search for a guide and you find one and she's talented and experienced. Maybe she's climbed this mountain before. She's got training and, and what to do if things go wrong. And you, and you secure her as your guide and as your leader. You stick her right there and then you fight about whether or not you're going to follow her or whether or not somebody else is going to choose the path that you go down. All of us would say that's, that's preposterous. That's crazy. You should follow the leader and yet... We don't. Functionally, we act like we don't actually want leaders unless, of course, we can be the leader. That's the only time that leadership is really great for us. And so in this handicap, in this position in which we are not really great at determining leadership, I thought what we would do this morning is to look at this text in such a way that would point out for us what good leaders look like. And the way we're gonna do it is by pointing out bad leaders. I want to encourage you as we talk about this, knowing that leadership is a topic uh, a lot of people deal with, that many of you could be sitting here right now and go, ah, this just isn't going to apply to me. You know, I'm not a leader. I don't, I don't have any staff. I don't have any children. Uh, you know, I'm in a current uh, situation or setting or a life stage in which I don't really lead anybody. And, and that may be a valid point, but I would say that leadership comes and goes. There'll be different seasons in which you will be a leader, other seasons in which you will not. I also wanna say that leadership today is not just gonna be talking about civic or religious leaders, that we all deal with leadership on different levels. At any given moment, you might be leading in some role in this church, outside of this church. Biblical leadership principles apply to civic authorities and other sorts of leaders. It applies to elementary school principals and United States senators, to fathers, to mothers, to pastors and police officers, sports officials, athletes, you know, you name it. There's all of these aspects of leadership. So you may say, I'm not a leader, into which I would say, well, you might be. You might be one day, or you probably are leading right now. You just don't realize it. Furthermore, what I would say is don't tune this out because this is much more about who to follow and how to choose a good leader than it is about being a good leader. We're just going to learn that on the side. So let's pray. And then we're going to look at this concept. My one liner this morning is bad leaders lead nowhere good. Bad leaders lead nowhere good. We'll unpack that a little bit. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to spend some time together, to worship you, to make much of you. God, I pray that you are pleased with our song, that with our minds and our hearts, we would open the text, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would seek to live out these principles, knowing that you are the good and the gracious, the kind leader, we would follow you as we are supposed to. God, we would focus much less on being determined leaders and much more on being discerning followers. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray together. Amen. All right, the text this morning is Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3. Micah is a smaller book in the Old Testament. So it'll be on the left-hand side of your Bible, kind of towards, like you get to the middle and you go a little bit more to the right. So I guess it's on the right-hand side of your Bible, but it's on the left side of the division. Uh, and feel no shame if you have to look in the table of contents. This is one of the ones that you might have to look in the table of contents. No, so no shame at that. No shame at that. Bring a Bible, look it up in the table of contents. I'm gonna read the text to you though. Here's what it says. Micah chapter three, verse nine says, listen to this leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. So clearly we're talking to leaders. All right, not making that up. That's what it is. Who, these leaders who abhor justice and prevent or pervert everything that is right who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with injustice. Her leaders issue rulings for a bribe. 
Her priests teach for payment and her prophets practice divination for silver. Yet they lean on the Lord saying this, is this the Lord among us? No disaster will overtake us. Verse 12, therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become ruins and the temple's mountains will be a high thicket. This is a bad place to end up. All right, this is no good. This is no bueno. This is bad. This is not where you want to go. This is not thriving. This is destruction. Okay, this is not life. This is death. And how did we get to this place in this text? We got to this place because of bad leaders. That's where we got. And so bad leaders lead nowhere good. This text is really going to highlight three attributes, three distinguishing marks of a bad leader, and then a fourth one just for a bonus. Okay, so let's look at that. The first one here is found at the end of verse nine. These leaders who abhor justice and pervert everything that is right. It's talking about a standard. It's talking about a a justice, something that should be equally applied to all people. Justice is a big theme within the minor prophets, particularly in the Old Testament. This is what one biblical commenter said about the concept of biblical justice. It says, in scripture, God is the source of justice, which is the means by which his rule is established. God seeks justice. Righteousness is what God seeks to form in all people. Justice prevails in all communities where God's law is kept. Through justice, God seeks the restoration of the creation. Justice seeks the transformation of people. Biblical justice and righteousness transcend common notions of justice and are intended to bring blessings to all cultures of the world. God expects the righteous to strive with him for justice. Simply put, what it means is that justice is a way to govern, is a way to uh, decide or to judge that is equally applied to all people. It is a standard that should be equally applied and fairly applied to all people. And yet these rulers and leaders made up a separate standard that would not be applied to all people, that would advantage them and their friends and disadvantage other people. It was something that was going to prevent other people from getting a leg up. They were gaming the system, okay? That's what was happening here. And that is something that we often see in our own culture and in bad leaders, right? We are tempted to look the other way in respect to this. If the leaders that we are following uh, provide, uh, maybe they look like they're on our team or they're profitable or we like them in some way. If they're a political leader and, and let's say that they are, um, they are credibly accused of something like insider trading or they are um, pardoning their friends and, and, and their people on their side, then when it's our side, we're tempted to go, oh, I mean, it's not that bad, you know, that's all right. A little bit of injustice that leans in our favor is not bad. But if the other side, whatever the other side is, if the other side were to do that, then we we're up in arms and we're mad. We're upset about this because there needs to be a standard that is applied equally to both people. We see this also in church work. And that's something that I need to share with you guys is uh, a lot of my illustrations are going to come from the standpoint of being a church leader, a, a large church leader. And so don't just discount and say this doesn't apply. It does apply. These are just the illustrations that I have. We want pastors and church leaders that apply standards to um, our ministries, 
that say this is what you should teach and this is what should not be teached. Sometimes we want that. We want to feel confidence in that. We want them to manage and steward the resources that we have like, like small group rooms and, and the door locks and those sort of things. We want that sort of system in place unless, of course, it's my ministry or my small group. Then I want total freedom and total reign. You know, I want to do whatever I want to do. I get really upset when somebody were to step in and tell me what to do. So we see this sort of idea in which we want a standard. We just don't want the standard applied to us. That's unjust. It perverts, twists, uh, messes up what is right. Bad leaders force a bad standard on other people. One of my sons had a teacher who uh, her child was in the class. And while the class was required to pay attention and to sit up straight and to listen, uh, it was a particular discipline that they were in there, uh, her child was allowed to play on the iPad and to have a snack and one time start a fire. Um, so that child was doing all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, over there and, and uh, other children were not. And of course, as you can imagine, this caused a issue within the class. Parents started calling and eventually the principal and the administration stepped in to make it right, which is what they should do, which is what you expect of them. They stepped in, they made it right and it fixed everything, you know? They applied the standard across the board. That's what we want. That's what we need. Even if we feel it's unfair towards us, we want that sort of standard, which is something that I wanna be very careful. When we are not in the position of leadership, we need to be aware that the application of a standard on a group of people often, especially if it's a large group of people, will not feel fair to all people because there's elements and there are factors and there are history and concerns and mission. And there's all sorts of things that go into play that sometimes when a standard is applied to a large group of people, it just won't feel fair. So we need to be very careful that we want leaders that attempt to apply standards evenly and fairly across the board. And yet we have to give grace in knowing that we don't know all things. And so this first topic here is that bad leaders lead with false standards. There's gonna be three of these and I wanna encourage you to write them down, but I also wanna encourage you to put them in your own words. You know, you might say that bad leaders lead with unfair standards. And that would be a, a, an acceptable way to state that. I'm just not a big fan of the word fair, right? Because like, what is that? What is fair? Nothing's fair. So I, I, I'd rather like say false. So bad leaders lead with false or unfair standards. You look at the next verse and you can see this next one. It says, who build Zion, bad leaders who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with injustice. Now, of course, if we're standing back and we're looking at this, we're like, who wants that kind of leader? I don't want any leaders that involve bloodshed, all right? That's just not like the person that I am looking for. That's not what I wanna go after. Clearly, this is not the kind of leader that we want. Habakkuk 2.12 says, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Literally, they were building these cities and they were running people to death, okay? These were construction projects that ended up costing way more than they bid out and the lives of other people, right? That's just the way that this was going on. One biblical commenter says this, it was urban renewal with a vengeance, a new Jerusalem with the cost of lives of men. It's just not a thing that we have to deal with a lot, except for I would apply it this way. Bad leaders are those who build at the expense of others. They build their platform and their legacy at the expense of others. The cities and the municipal structures were often the glory of the king or the governor 
or what have you. Churches have done this as well. There are many churches, particularly across the South, in which they have these massive facilities that they never needed and they're strapped with a debt that they could never bear. Why? Because of the ego of the pastor or those who were in leadership. It's just the reality of it. Leaders, bad leaders, lead at the expense of others. What it's saying here, be very careful or or observe this, is that they were building Zion and they were building Jerusalem, and both of these things are good. When you're talking about municipal structures, you're talking about things like like streets and and, uh, roundabouts and parks and that sort of stuff. These are good things. These are great things. We like them. But the principle here is not that they were building bad things. It's not saying bad leaders build bad things. Of course, of course, all right? That's not what we need. But bad leaders build good things the wrong way. This is so important. We really need to rekindle our conviction that says how you do what you do matters just as much as what you do. The way you function matters just as much as what it is that you are trying to accomplish. The right way to do things is often the hardest way to do them. It still is the right way to do it. How you do what you do is just as important as what it is that you do. These leaders were leading in a way that was at the expense of other people. In church work, you can see this on the opposite. You can really see this stand out, this principle stand out in uh, volunteerism. Now listen, there's, a, there's plethora ways in which you can be involved in the church, all right? Tons and tons and tons of, of ways that you can be involved, and they all need volunteers. So I'm not discounting any volunteerism, but I do want to lift up one particular one. It's when you see empty nesters or senior adults volunteer in the next gen ministries, ministries in which they no longer or never had children in those positions. They lead at a sacrifice to themselves. They lead only for the good of others. And it is often a great sacrifice to themselves to lead and to care and to volunteer in those roles. We want in our church and and all churches, we want ministries to the next generation, but we never really think about the equation, what that requires, right? Let me explain what I'm trying to say here is we want a vibrant uh, kids ministry, but we cannot run a kids ministry with children, okay? I can't put like a third grader back there and say, make sure none of them kill themselves, all right? You know, I need adults to be in that and to volunteer in various roles. You need that. So they can't minister to only themselves. If we only stuck to ministering to our own generation and our own friends, then then we would have to put the third grader back there, you know? Same thing works with teenagers. And you might say, well, yeah, well, the parents need to do those things. And I agree with you. I do think that parents should volunteer in the ministries of their children. However, if we wanna reach more people and people who aren't in our church, well, then we're going to have to volunteer and help one another. Same thing happens with college students. Now, college students are adults. They can minister within their own ministry, but they need uh, older adults to invest in them and to work with them and, and to encourage them. And you might say, well, that's, I'm not really a leader. I can't go in there and I can't lead these things. I'm talking about helping them check in. I'm talking about inviting them over to a Thanksgiving meal because they are away from home. This is the sort of sacrificial leadership that really contrasts with this kind of leadership, the kind of bad leaders that will build their platform at the expense of others. The reverse of that is the kind of gracious, godly, Christ-like leaders that build at a, at a sacrifice to themselves. 
in small ways and in big ways. Good leaders lead at a personal sacrifice and bad leaders lead in, at the expense of others. Bad leaders lead with a false standard. Bad leaders lead at the expense of others. You're following along, right? Where you get this? This is obvious. Makes sense. And then there's a third one that's pointed out here. If it's not painfully obvious to you yet, bad leaders, bad leadership is selfish. It's self-centered. Verse 11, her leaders issue rulings for a bribe. Her priests teach for payment and her prophets practice divination for silver. Now, be careful. This is not saying that leaders ought not to be compensated, that they ought not to be paid. It's also not teaching that leadership ought not to be well paid or well compensated. In fact, the New Testament teaches exactly the opposite. It says that they should be well paid. With great risk comes great reward. So then what is the point here? What are we talking about with bribe and payment and silver? Well, we're talking about the point being the money. The bad leaders lead for selfish gain. And it doesn't just have to be money. It could be uh, privilege or prestige or popularity. It could be um, special tickets to the local sporting event or or getting in uh, behind the scenes or sitting at the table that bad leaders lead for this self-centered gain. When we look at these things and we see rulings and teachings and divination, the divination one stands out to us, right? It's like Harry Potter stuff, you know? It's like, what are we talking about? I thought that was bad, you know? Well, divination was just a practice of determining the will of God, okay? And they had ways for doing that in the Old Testament. And so none of these are bad, but they should not be done for selfish gain. That's the point. That's the idea. I read about a security firm at which the CEO in the late 90s and the early 2000s, uh, he and some of his buddies were able to steal over $600 million worth of bonuses and unauthorized loans from his corporation. In fact, he lived such an extravagant life that when he was busted for this, they found a $6,000 shower curtain in his house, all right? I don't even know how you would pay six, who, where do you buy that, you know? That's not at Home Goods. I'm telling you that much right now. Where do you buy a $6,000 shower curtain? Obviously, at an excessively disgusting level, the man was self-centered. But would it be any less Disgusting if it was $6,000 or $600? No, because the principle still applies, that the money ain't the point. Self-gain is not the reason. The mission, the good of others and the glory of God, that's why you are put in a position of leadership. Your position of leadership is not for your own self-gain. Neither is it for other people. The book deals and the privilege and the prestige, that is not the reason that we lead. Now be careful on this. I'm tempted in all three of these standards to just reverse them to make them good. If that's bad, the opposite is good, right? If you're using an unfair standard, to use a fair standard would be desirable. And I think that is true. If you are um, leading at the expense of others, that's bad. Leading at your own expense, that's good. That's Christ-like. That's what Jesus did, all right? So this one, if you, if you lead to get rich yourself, that would be bad. So you ought to lead to make other people rich, right? That's the standard. I mean, that would be reversed. That's just not true. That's not what it's teaching. That is not what it's teaching. And, and we need to be mature enough to understand this because this is one of the ones that we have the hardest time with. Look at what we're talking about. Rulings, teaching, and divination. 
all right? Determining the will of God. This could be like preaching, teaching, making judgments. None of these ought to be done for the wealth of the leader or the wealth of the other people. They're not done for my own personal happiness as a leader, nor are they done at the goal of making other people happy, all right? Good leaders are less concerned with making everybody happy and more concerned with doing what is right, all right? It's impossible for any pastor to stand in front of a church and make everybody happy. I can't make everybody happy. I am quite confident that some of the things that I've already said in this sermon have made you not happy, all right? And you may tell me about that later, that's fine. My email is davidrainey at mysecond.com. You just tell me how bad that sermon is. You don't even have to address it. Just say, that sermon was horrible. So that's not the point. The point of leadership, of good leadership, is not that they would make us happy. It's that they would do what is right. You don't want a ruler who, who rules so that a group of people would be wealthy and happy. You want a ruler that leads to do what is right. Here's one of the leadership principles that I've often lived my life by that is, I think, worth writing down and memorizing is we're not working toward a consensus. We're working toward what is right. We're not trying to make everybody happy. So you might be a part of this church and there's been decisions that I've made or somebody's made and you're like, oh, I don't really like that. That's fine. Some people liked it, but it's what we did. All right. It's just what we do. So we want to make sure that we are understanding this third principle, and that is bad leaders lead with false standards at the expense of others for selfish gain. These are the ideas behind bad leaders. And yet there is this other one. There's this third or this fourth kind of observation. And this one's for free because it's a particularly disgusting type of bad leader. Look at verse 11. It says, yet they lean on the Lord saying, isn't the Lord among us? No disaster will overtake us. These bad leaders were taking the name of God and christening their own self-centered ways. They were getting rich off of religion. They were getting influential off of manipulating those who follow God and lie. Listen, you know that this happens. We know that this happens. This is the local celebrity that will show up at all of the large churches just to kind of keep peace and, and to gain clout. This is the politician that all of a sudden tries to use Bible verses, but they're completely out of context and they make no sense. And yet they do that in order to try to make us more attached to them. This is the corporation that all of a sudden uses some sort of Bible verse at the bottom of their cup or on the side of their to-go bags or something like that. And listen, there's nothing wrong if you are the leader of an organization, you want to lead your organization to make a public, bold statement about following Christ, more power to you. And I'm not judging your heart, but what I'm saying is you and I both know that that's not always what's going on. They'll put some fish on the side of it and all of a sudden Christians are like, well, I guess I got to get my oil changed over there. You know, I got to be loyal to that. It is disgusting. We ought to be indignant toward those who would try to take the gospel and make it into a marketing ploy, that would try to stand on the cross of Christ to build their own platform. Again, I can't judge hearts, but there are times at which this is painfully obvious what is going on. Now listen, in all of this, whether we're talking about civic leaders or, or corporation leaders, church leaders, those sort of things, our leaders are human and we live in a fallen world. And so leaders are never going to be perfect 
And there might be elements of this in any one leader. This is the ideal. You might say, Josh, this doesn't work in the real world. This is the ideal. And to which I would tell you, that's my job. I'm supposed to stand up here and say, this is the ideal. This is the goal. This is what we strive for. Just because we live in a broken, shady, undercurrent world doesn't mean that we ought to keep our eyes at Christ and look up and say, that's the goal. That is what we're going to try to do. Look, bad leaders lead with false standards at the expense of others and for selfish gain. Bad leaders lead nowhere good. Remember that, remind ourselves of that. Because in our world in which we're constantly trying to make decisions between two bad choices, we need to at least be sober-minded enough to say that expediency or to win the battle and lose the war is not necessarily the best option. See, Jesus is, of course, the perfect reflection of good leadership. Jesus is our standard. Jesus is a great and a good leader. He is the standard. He is about the glory of the Father and the good of others. We can follow him. He is sacrificial and generous. This is our example. This is what we ought to follow him. This is why we ought to live our lives. If you are a leader, lead like Christ. If you are a follower, follow those who lead like Christ. And we are all both. So I would encourage you, I would invite you today, if you have not began to follow Christ in your life, then you ought to. You will find no better leader. You will find no better person to emulate, to follow. He crawls under the chairs, you crawl under the chairs. He hops on one foot, you hop on one foot. He lays his life down for the good of those who would hurt him. And we do the same. He's our good leader So if you have questions about following Jesus, I would love to answer those. I would love to give you that today. So here's the application. Obviously, here's the biggest application. Don't follow people like this, all right? I know you're smart. I know you're like, yeah, that that makes sense. So don't do it. Don't do that. But you might say, Josh, you don't know. You don't understand, Josh. Listen, he's electable. You don't understand, Josh. She's charismatic. You don't understand. She, she leads. I mean, like, she's not great, but she's got the, we're, we're making more profit this year than we ever have before. You don't understand. And to which I am telling you, I completely understand. I understand the temptation, but at least be honest enough to say that you are using them to get some sort of short-term gain. And be sober-minded enough to realize this throughout all of history, throughout all of the history of ever, No organization, nation, movement, group, church has ever followed bad leaders to a good place. Bad leaders lead nowhere good. I will say this. The longer I lead in the public platform, the longer I lead at the level that I am leading, the more I am reticent, um, scared to critique leadership decisions. All right, because I wasn't in the boardroom. I wasn't in the war room. I wasn't there when whatever got said, got said. I don't know the history of the decision and I don't know the impact, right? So I am very careful to critique leadership decisions. And that's what, not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to encourage us to do is to be more discerning about leadership character. And there's a difference. Look for that kind of character. Furthermore, what I think we could do very easily is not so much apply this to leaders, but then turn it right back on ourselves. If you should have the opportunity to lead, if you should have the blessing to be a dad or a mom, to be a boss, to be a supervisor, to just be the loudest voice in the room, 
then you take that as the responsibility that it is for the good of others and the glory of God. Bad leaders lead nowhere good. Good leaders lead toward God. I remember when we were first married, um, we tried to make guacamole. And uh, of course we did, you know. And so we went down to the, the Walmart there and we bought some avocados and we had a recipe and we were, you know, doing this on our own. And uh, we took it home and we uh, cut into that avocado and it was hard, all right? It was really hard to cut around that avocado. And then when I had it in halves, cause I'm watching, you know, like I'm looking at the online little um, forum there and, and I take the knife and I slam it against that seed, you know, and I try to turn it and it breaks the seed. And, and then I finally peel off all the skin and I'm chopping up this avocado and then we're trying to squish it, you know, and we're trying to do all of this. And we put the extra ingredients in there and a the little packet of seasoning and we're trying to mix it and it's not looking right, you know? I'm like, try it. And she's like, that doesn't look right. That doesn't look like, that doesn't look like guacamole, you know? And, and it didn't, right? Because if you've ever made guacamole, you know what I did wrong. I got the wrong avocado. And so this deacon in our church, he showed us, he told us, this is what you need. You got the wrong one, he says. The avocados cannot be firm like that. You also don't want squishy avocados, right? If you can stick your finger through it, that's not a, that's the opposite bad, right? You want soft. What he said was, there's two ways to go wrong on this. There's one way to go right. Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's more beneficial for us to be able to identify the wrong so that we can more clearly see the good. And that's the way that I'm encouraging you to do today. Look at these things, pick them up, reword them, but start to be aware and discerning Again, it is much less about being a determined leader and much more about being a discerning follower. I'll also tell you another trick. The longer you follow Jesus, the more comfortable you are with good leadership that any sort of bad leadership sticks out real bad. So follow Jesus. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.